intro. Do it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Innovator Spotlight from TamilCulture.com. Ara and I are your co-hosts, and today we have a very exciting guest, Theban Ganesh. Hi, everyone. Awesome. Well, um, why don't you do a quick intro, Theban? Tell, tell, tell the people a bit about yourself, um, and we'll get into it. Sure. Um, I mean, my background's in, uh, I was a developer. Um, I actually went to Waterloo, University of Waterloo Computer Science um, 20 years ago. I, uh, I was a developer for the first five years. And then, you know, very shortly after I started my first company in 2007, um, and I started a few other companies since then. I was also the, uh, the first product manager on BlackBerry at BBM, helped build the 60 million users. Um, and, you know, for the last five years, I've been, you know, helping companies figure out their product strategy, their growth, their revenue. Um, most recently, I am um, leading a company right now in the blockchain space called Reputable. We're trying to figure out um, how to build a reputation platform that helps you determine what's best in the world of health and wellness. I know you kind of um, skipped over some things. I don't know if you're just being humble, but I gotta come. I gotta come back to it because um, either you should be playing the lottery regularly, or you gotta tell us your secret. Because if you look through your LinkedIn profile, you really have a knack for like either starting companies or joining companies that get acquired, and that's something I'd love to do. So, uh, what is your secret to picking companies that you either start or join? That's a great question. I, I can't say there's there's a specific secret to it other than just working my butt off. Um, I, I would say each situation was different. So in our first company, um, you know, that acquisition happened a year and a bit, year and a half after we started. And really that was a, a situation where, um, you know, for anyone who's, who's gone through this process, you know, my business partner and I had major disagreement just in terms of where the organization would be hosted, et cetera. Um, and the way to resolve that sort of disagreement came through an acquisition that, you know, we were lucky to get. So that was, you know, round one. Number two was a very different story. Number two, we were growing exponentially. Um, and, uh, you know, when we were looking to raise our first round, we spoke to a potential investor that just loved what we were doing and said, look, Guys, I want you guys in our company building this out. And for a couple of guys that, you know, um, didn't come from wealth, they gave us an offer that was hard to refuse. And, you know, we bootstrapped the entire thing up to that point. We hadn't raised any money. We hadn't diluted it all. So we took it. Um, and the third acquisition, that was, you know, it was a very different situation. That was my pink sensei. Uh, came into that one not as the founder. I was, you know, brought in uh, the board, fired the CEO, and brought me on as a CEO. And that one, you know, we turned that company around. We grew shareholder wealth by 10x. Um, and that was actually one where I did not want an acquisition. I was in love with the mission where we were helping chronic pain patients get better. I mean, the story after story of people that were dealing with pain for decades, and as somebody who sort of, you know, has dealt with my own chronic pain as well. Um, and it was, a, it was a mission that was near and dear to me. And so that was one where we were crushing it. And, but, you know, I was a minority shareholder in that entire organization and, you know, the board and, and the, the majority shareholders 
saw this amazing opportunity for an exit um, and took it. But yeah, each story is different. I would say there's some, there's some probably some similarities. I'm a big, I'm very big on product market fit, very big on working really hard to understand um, what's the right product um, and what's the right market and how do you find, sort of find that match. So that's what I would consider my, my sweet spot, my specialty for any of the three companies. Um, and the rest is hard work. <laughs> so work hard. It's just my secret. I, I don't like that. Answer. I don't like that part of the answer, but okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Theban, tell us a little bit about, you know, your current company, Reputable, and what, what, it's, what it does. Yeah, so, you know, we started Reputable, actually, the idea came from our time at My Pain Sensei, right, where we were in the health and wellness space. We had a solution that clearly worked. We had so many people with chronic pain coming to it, and we would, you know, uh, we had a program and set of tools and software that would help them manage and control their pain. Um, but we really struggled with traction. Right? We really struggled with growth, especially with the major health insurers, right? Uh, and the big question they were always asking is like, well, now how do we know this is reputable? <laughs> really was the question, right? Um, there's so many options. Why is this better than a pill? Uh, and, and as we reflect on it, we quickly realized like the biggest problem that's holding back you know, innovation and, and really progress in the healthcare world is the lack of adoption. There's no concrete unbiased way to be able to compare two different things and say, this is unbiasedly better as an approach. Um, and so that's what we set out to do in Reputable. We're here to um, build a platform that allows um, you know, anyone to be able to compare and contrast two completely different products and uh, treatments and say, this one, according to the data, the science, the research is better. So, and we think by doing that, it's going to unlock so much innovation and speed up you know, access to treatments for people with chronic conditions. Right? It, takes, it takes about a decade for a new drug to be developed. You can get up to 30 years for something to become standard of care. We're trying to shorten that to a year in max. That's, that's where we want to go with Reputable. So with Reputable, I mean, before Reputable, you built a bunch of companies following them, you know, Web2 methodology, or just kind of in that world. Um, so why are you all of a sudden so excited about Web3? And, you know, why did you structure Reputable uh, or just want to play in that world? Versus like, you know, just continuing down the, the path that you were, you know, it seemed like you were doing pretty well already with. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of differences between the Web 2 world and the Web 3 world. Um, so for me, Web 3 represents this intersection of so many of my interests, right? Building communities, decentralization, ownership, macroeconomics, um, gamification, incentive design, all these things are things that I've done in different ways um, in various companies. And it's like Web3 is the intersection of all those very powerful concepts, right? So I, I think you're going to find the same answer for a lot of people in Web3. Once you sort of go down that rabbit hole, it's incredible because you're like, this is all the things that are wrong with how we built businesses historically, right? This notion that there's a very select small few that have all the control just isn't ideal for optimal outcomes. All right, how do you create full transparency around what you're doing? 
Um, these are all sort of things that you know, we think deeply about and why um, I've been passionate about uh, Web3. Now, having said that, you know, there's this big question around like, does every company then need to be a Web3 company? And, and there's, there's obviously discussions on that front. But if you think about the landscape of reputation, reputation is probably the space where centralized companies have really screwed it up, right? Uh, you know, I can give you names, like you look at Amazon, Amazon has an Amazon store with supplements that, you know, are like, shouldn't be Amazon's top choice, right? Um, and if you ask the questions as to why it is that, you know, they haven't been able to manage their centralized Amazon store better, um, it, it comes down to like, they have a different set of interests and biases to keep their store going, right? And their interests are not necessarily aligned with the consumer's interest. Um, so as we reflect upon that, we realize like if there's one, if there if there's an if there's a product or an, a concept that truly needs to be decentralized, it's the world of figuring out and building credible reputation. You can't leave that to one single company. And that's a good thing in, in many ways, because that means, you know, I'm not worried about Amazon crushing us. I'm not worried about Google or Facebook or any of these major behemoths that you typically worry about, right? When you're building companies like those guys are going to come after you. Um, I don't worry about that because I know, I mean, how many people believe Facebook, <laughs> right? Like, is that a credible reputation system? So I think this is why we looked at reputable as a decentralized autonomous organization, first and foremost. How did you first uncover that these big organizations are not doing justice the way that they're kind of um, rating their products? Like, how did you learn about that and decide that it was time for change? I mean, it was just part of our whole customer discovery, right? Um, when we looked in the health and wellness space, we looked at how a lot of people were making purchase decisions in the health and wellness space. And believe it or not, if you just take, for example, supplement supplements and uh, you know, off-the-counter type supplements, most people purchase them today on Amazon. And then if you mm -hmm. dig in and investigate the shenanigans that goes on in the Amazon ecosystem, just in terms of how easy it is to purchase five-star reviews, there's such a, there's a, there's a you know, great ecosystem out there just for you to be able to buy reviews and you know, make your products seem like it's better than it is. Um, and all of that, it's just stuff that the average consumer is really not aware of and, and still making, you know, health and wellness decisions on, right? Um, so we then did more investigation. We would look at some of these products. We would actually do the digging, like we were internet sleuths, looking at understanding what's the source of these products, where are they coming from? And we realized like so much of these products, 95% is not actually what they even put on the label. And yet we're all consuming this stuff. Um, and Amazon's doing nothing about it. I think you so you mentioned structuring reputable as a DAO. Um, you know, it's there's a lot of different buzzwords in this world, in like the world of Web3, and DAO obviously is one of them. And I think it's probably like the word of 2022, I feel. Uh, DAO, sub DAOs, et cetera. So for, if you could ex, you know, um, explain it to somebody that's completely new, what is a DAO? How does an ownership structure in the DAO world work, like in a DAO work? How does the money move around? Because I do, I do think people are a bit confused if they're used to like Web2, how this all works. And then I guess another comment around DAOs that you can kind of touch at the end is, I think you had made this comment and maybe I'm misremembering it, but I think you said every company that's currently Web2 or like ever going to be created moving forward 
should strongly consider being a DAO. Uh, break that down. So just all of that. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. So I'm going to go over that one. <laughs> so, so what is a DAO? A DAO is a, you know, I mean, technically speaking, it's a decentralized autonomous organization. So once again, technically, what does that mean? That means there's no single controlling entity. Um, unlike centralized organizations, you know, all our decisions are made through draft organization. Um, you guys just saw that my mic shifted. And I was, yeah, yeah. Is it better now? Yes, yes perfect. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all our all our decisions are made through governance and voting. Um, and you know, any transactions that are enacted in the system um, are live on chain, right? So they are verifiable, and and you can validate them right on chain itself. As in, um, you know. If, for example, a governance decision is made on our end to do X, um, a smart contract essentially has to be written and that has to be enacted on chain. And that smart contract is completely visible for anybody to look at and audit, make sure that what we said in our governance decisions is actually what's being enacted on chain. So it just leads to, you know, really transparent, um, you know, flat organizations, um, and this goes back to your sort of second question. Before I get there, that's the technical side. In reality, most DAOs are discords with a group of people that are just there, that are passionate about solving a problem that they all care about. Oftentimes, a lot of these early stage DAOs, you know, people came in and, you know, weren't exactly paid for their time. They're just putting their time in with the hope of, you know, um, let me turn off my Bluetooth, right? Can you guys hear me? Much better. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. So that's what you find most uh, DAOs are just today, mostly just discords with lots of people coming in here and really just collaborating around the mission that they're you know, all working towards. Um, the second question that you had asked, or what was that again? Um, the ownership, like, you know, in a yeah, Web2 yeah. company, everyone owns shares. Like, how, how does that work in, with DAOs? Yeah, so it's a really, it's a great question. It's a, it's a nuanced question too, though, right? Because there's, like, Web3 is this world right now where there's so many different models and the regulatory landscape is shifting on a day-by-day -day basis. Um, you know, having said that, there's, there's really... From an ownership structure perspective, there's largely two different models that I've seen work, right? So there is, you have the DAO, but you have essentially uh, an LLC or an actual real world corporation, right? That, you know, owns the DAO. And, you know, if you're talking about an ownership percentage, for example, if you're gonna go raise money from a traditional VC, most traditional VCs today want, want that sort of structure. They're great. They love that you're doing your DAO, but they want a position in the cap table, right? Where they can clearly say that, see that they own a certain percentage of shares. Um, and then there's a whole other group that I look at as the progressive VCs, progressive investors that, you know, um, what other DAOs are doing is essentially just creating governance tokens, right? And governance tokens are almost the closest thing to real world ownership you find in DAOs. And all governance tokens give you is, for example, as you do work and as you contribute in the DAO, you get a certain number of tokens that are native to your project, 
right? So for example, with REPT, our governance token, sorry, with Reputable, our governance token is REPT, right? We've created 10 billion REPT and we now distribute those to contributors within our ecosystem. And what REPT really does when you have REPT as a governance token, it means you have a say in any proposal and any decisions that are made. If I have a hundred million rep or like a million rep, I get a million votes in the total number of votes on any decision that's made. So you get essentially voting power in, um, in, in, in the project. And you also get sort of a say on how our treasury is used, right? So you'll find now that a lot of progressive VCs are getting an understanding that, look, you know, most of the newer DAOs are 100% just governance tokens, right? And they're essentially buying into those governance tokens um, with, the notion that, um, with the notion that these governance tokens are going to increase in value themselves, right? Um, and then they get that in Web3, you really, like, I mean, you don't need any more ownership than or control than what you get with owning, you know, these governance tokens that give you the right to be able to control the treasury, right? So that's that's how it's playing. And on our side, that's how we're doing it. We're not taking the traditional Web2 approach of, you know, putting a company behind this, et cetera, um, where ownership is stripped apart. We're 100% governance tokens, and that's how we can run it. So if somebody had governance tokens in your DAO, um, how do they convert that today? Like maybe in the future it looks different, but today of something of value that they could use in the world, uh, like in, in like, I don't call it the real world, but I guess the real world, because we're not like in the you know, fully fleshed out metaverse or like this place where they can kind of easily use your tokens. So can you uh, explain that, um, the mechanics behind that? Yeah, so the mechanics behind this is what you gotta be, you gotta be, uh, you gotta be careful on because this is what, um, you know, the regulatory bodies right now are looking deeply into, right? So in our side, I can tell you how we're doing it. In our position today, reputable's governance tokens have no value, right? Um, that doesn't mean that they will not have value in the future, but today they have no value. And oftentimes what you see with a lot of these governance tokens in these projects is they build inherent value in themselves, right? Um, but really where the, the specific question you're asked is, well, how am I going to trade that for real world money, right? And that just comes down to what the market values the token at, right? And where you can trade that token. Right? Is there a liquidity pool available for you to be able to trade that token? Right now, we're just handing tokens privately to people that are doing work within our organization. And we're very clear that, guys, this is all in the name of a public good that we're building specifically to figure out reputation, health, and wellness space. These tokens have no value. Right? That's how we're doing it on our side. Um, but as with every project, you know, the, the valuation of set tokens is actually outside our control. They can gain their own value in secondary markets in that form um, outside our control. Now, I mean, hypothetically, at some point, if we wanted, we can essentially prime a liquidity pool on our side 
and then launch or, and trade this token on a decentralized exchange or a centralized exchange, decentralized exchange like Uniswap. As an example, you know, if we wanted to actually start trading the token or we felt that that was the direction that the community wanted to go in, right? Um, and that proposal and vote passed. Um, yeah, then it would just be a matter of taking X token and then creating essentially its, um, its counterpart and ETH or whatever is currently liquid and then putting that on a decentralized exchange like Uniswap and then you know, seeing that the market actually trades it. And then that's how your token gets value. And then at that point, everybody who has that token can choose to trade it on that decentralized exchange. So that's how this works today in the world of crypto. Does that answer your question? Yes. Oh, so, um, oh sorry, Ara. Um, so how's the token system working so far? Like are people adapting to the system? Yeah, so to be honest for, for I mean, we just, privately started assigning tokens this month. We were advised to stay far away from that just because there's just so much, there's so many issues right now around even just allocating tokens, um, even when they're governance tokens, because like I said, the regulatory landscape is changing daily on this and you want to make sure that you're not perceived or seen as a security, right? Uh, so our legal counsel has gone through it. They look at the work that we're doing and unlike a lot of DeFi projects in, in, um, in Web3 where, I mean, it's hard to debate that any, the value is anything other than the increased um, token appreciation. On our side, we have a very clear mission that's tied to bringing credible reputation around health and wellness products, right? So we've got legal counsel, you know, giving us the go ahead that yes, you know, yours is a project that can very clearly establish, can be established as a governance token and, and you can go from there. So we've just kicked that off. Um, I can tell you the community loves the idea up to this point. <laughs> the thing that we've struggled with is, you know, we ask a lot of people to come in and, and this is something I've struggled with too, coming from the web two world to the web three world. In the web two world, you start a company, you raise money, you hire people, they're fully focused and you go. In, in the web three world, you've got a couple of core con contributors, myself really and my business partner, um, Kyle Berkowitz, Dr. Kyle Berkowitz. We're the core team. And then everyone else is really just kind of coming in and doing little parts and going. And, you know, there's a point in which there's only a certain amount of, you know, I guess, time they have in their day. So being able to show that they're very clearly getting something back in terms of a governance token with rights and, and responsibilities, et cetera, has definitely helped with the motivation. Yeah, you, you touched on a great point about community uh, and like Web3, like there's a lot of obviously technology and um, a tech obviously involved in kind of creating something successful. But I think the uh, the thing that people underestimate is building a community, which is it does not take you know a short period of time. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of time. Um, so how did you go about building this community of people? And then I guess related to that, you know, you touched on the, the inherent nature of a DAO is that people can kind of flow in and out as they want. They have a bit more liquidity in terms of their effort versus a traditional company where there's a bunch of regulations or processes to unload shares or buy shares or earn shares. Um, so, yeah, just maybe talk about those two things, the community and like kind of like the inherent yeah. nature of the DAOs and how that poses a challenge for you as well. 
both of those are ongoing challenges. And I think it's like every, every DAO founder I've spoken to is, is, you know, in some ways bashing their head against the wall on this stuff, right? It's, it's, this is the stuff where you really got to get out of the web two paradigm of, oh my goodness, why aren't these people hundred percent focused on the work that I'm telling them to do, right? Uh, and it's just, that's not the game in the web three um, where people have different interests and you know, they're, they're just like, they come in and out of projects and, and you really got to figure out how to get that sort of collaboration going. Um, so today in our community, that's, a, that's an ongoing process of learning, right? Um, I think the things like the uh, governance token in place, really crystallizing the mission and vision and where this is going, these are all helping, you know, just clarify what people are getting in this, in this uh, ecosystem. I think we struggled with that, to be completely honest, at the beginning. Um, but we're, we're just a lot more um, clear on it now. Um, in terms of the second question, what was that, Benhara? That was around... I think it was kind of just around how the inherent nature of DAOs kind of yeah. creates this liquidity, but like that poses a challenge for building community. So just talking about those two things and how they connect. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, like the inherent nature of, of you know, just getting that sort of, you know, part-time effort into the DAO, that, that has actually been one of our biggest challenges, right? I mean, we come from a world where people are 100% focused and that's what you're taught in, 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 in Web2, focus, 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 right? Uh, but what we've come to realize is it's just our paradigm. We have to, like, the Web3 world is all about changing paradigms and how you work and you collaborate. It means a new tool set, it means a new set of processes, it means a totally different governance structure. It means understanding and really coming to the terms that there's going to be a core set of contributors and those people can be expected to focus. Um, but the large majority are actually what we call network participants are going to come in and float in and out and do specific things. And they're going to be bounty hunters that will come in and do very specific tasks within the ecosystem and then head out, right? Just really getting our heads around that mindset uh, and that paradigm is, is, is required. And that, I think this is one of the reasons why a lot of people underestimate Web3 and DAOs. They look at that, they look at that situation and go, that's not workable, um, right? And I have a different perspective. I, my perspective is, no, that is the future. And, you know, the early parties are all getting bloodied on that front. We're all figuring out, we're all getting messed up, right? As in, just in terms of, how to make that all work, but it's just, the, there's, there's tooling that needs to mature, there's governance that needs to mature, there's process that needs to mature, there's legal that needs to mature, and those are all part of the early days of being on the forefront of this. But I'm a strong believer that this is the future. I, I think one thing just to add there as you were speaking is, even though it's a challenge in Web3, in the Web2 world, it's already happening behaviorally in organizations. Like I think of myself and there's others that almost look at it as a, they're full-time gig workers, not necessarily like doing something like Uber, but there's lawyers that work for marketplaces where they work on different projects. They take time off. They kind of go in and out between different projects. So I feel like the real or the, the web two world behaviorally with like employees, it's already kind of slowly shifting where even though it's a challenge in web in the web three world, I think we're, we'll get there in the next, you know, I don't know, maybe five years, but. I couldn't agree more. Like I have a very strong hypothesis that, you know, 
the, the, the web two world and the way we, we, the corporation, the way work is structured today was really designed for the industrial age. It's just not suitable for the information age. Um, that the future of work is not the nine to five or like the fixed amount of work. I think you're gonna find the average person moving forward is gonna have a whole bunch of different things and a whole bunch of different sources of income. Um, and we're gonna really shift how people engage in projects and, and do work moving forward. And, and all that is nicely lined up with where Web3 is going. Do you find that like your prospective clients know what Web3 is or do you have to do education with them? That's a great, great question. I, I would say another major challenge for us right now um, when we're combining Web3 and health and wellness is the intersection of people who get both is so small. Um, so, I mean, we've got, for example, reputable, we've got some leading experts in the health and wellness space, people, people who speak at major global conferences on the team. Um, and I mean, their biggest complaint is I don't get Discord and I don't understand how all this layer two and web three and what it means for smart contracts, like what does all this have to do with what we're trying to do here and helping people improve their health and wellness? So I think there's definitely like crypto and web three, there's a significant on-ramp to it, right? Um, and, you know, part of our mission and part of like just the things that we need to do is really build that on-ramp from an education perspective to, to make sure these parties can come on board smoothly. Got you. Before I kind of jump into my question, I know that, um, you know, for anybody that's currently on, if you have any questions, feel free to kind of send it in the chat to us and we'll, you know, make sure Deepan uh, sees that. Um, but, uh, I guess another uh, question I had around, like we talked about it earlier, um, was how do you foresee these big juggernauts in the in the Web two world? Um, you know, the Facebooks, the Googles, etc. That you know, there, there's just so much like uh, economic momentum behind them. How do you do you see them eventually shifting completely to Web three, or do you see a real possibility of somebody building something in the Web three world that could seriously challenge their dominance? You know, like. Google just owns like advertising online. And yeah. I know people are talking about somebody building something that could challenge it, but I just don't see it, but uh, love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to the, maybe the question you asked earlier is like, should every company in the future be uh, a DAO or a Web3 company or is like Web2 still have its place, right? And I look at that as almost analogous to like, you know, 20 years ago, if you'd said, should every company be an internet company or, or you know, are they okay just being a traditional whatever company, brick and mortar, whatever it is. Um, in my perspective, I mean, it's like, I want to be clear. It's not today. It may not be even in five years or 10 years, but 20 to 30 years from now, yes. I do believe if you're not a Web3 company, you will not be competitive in, in tomorrow's landscape. Um, to answer your question around Google, Facebook, I absolutely think there is disruption waiting and happening for them. And I just look, I, I mean, I... I say that based on just like a couple of couple of points, right? So if you look at Google, Apple, Facebook's advantages, they've got just incredible resources, uh, just a whole bunch of money. And centralization allows you to be able to move much faster, definitely in the beginning. 
Um, but, you know, they don't have the, the elements, the ethos of decentralization. They don't have the, the elements of coming in and automatically understanding ownership. They don't have transparency. They don't have auto, autonomy figured out like the way Web3 does. Um, and I asked myself, who does that benefit? And if you really think about it, it benefits all the makers, the starters, the entrepreneurs. Who are they going to work for? Are they going to build Web3 companies or are they going to... Um, go work in Google, Apple, Facebook, et cetera. And I think there, the, the, you know, the evidence is starting to pile up. You're seeing such a significant um, a shift right now from these Web2 companies, like I'm talking great companies into Web3 startups, right? And, I, and I, I look at those parties as the early indicators of how this entire game is going to play out, right? Um, and, and this is like the innovator's dilemma. Once you form, once you form businesses and, and P&Ls and product lines that are based on like a foundation of Web2, shifting over to a Web3 model is really, really tough, right? So um, I think, yeah, I, I, foresee a, I foresee disruption. Yeah, it's very similar to when you think about a large Fortune 500 company mm -hmm. trying to operate like a startup. It's not in their DNA, so it's very hard for them to have the same people that were operating one way where you have like cycles yeah. where you take six months to build a product versus like sprints in two days. Yeah. Uh, that's why they have to separate like a create a separate environments where like they hire new people that have never worked there to kind of create that similar culture. Exactly. And I think there's actually real world examples of this playing out, right? Like I think the, the, the best case study has been, have you guys ever followed Wikipedia in the early 2000s? Um, and it's competition at that point, I think it was, and Carta, right? That was a sizable organization, well-resourced, with a much better user experience. Um, it was better, significantly better than Wikipedia. Um, and in a matter of a decade, they shut down. They just couldn't compete with the decentralized nature of, of, uh, of like, it just can't, right? So, I mean, that's how I see, I see these things playing out as well. Do you think people are aware, though, that enough people are aware about how these systems are not effectively giving us ethical rating systems? Um, no, I don't. Right. So every time I tell people, do you know what goes, you know how easy it is to game Amazon reviews? They look flabbergasted. They look at me yeah. like, oh my God. And when I talk to them about um, what exists in like, I think a, a couple of like reputable supplement manufacturers um, you know, analyzed the top 80% uh, of supplements on Amazon that were, you know, had all these Amazon choice reviews, et cetera. And they found so much crap in them. Like we are people who, you know, supplement are actually consuming a lot of stuff that is actually not in your label. Right. So no, I think the, the short answer is no, I actually don't. I think there's a lot of consumer and public awareness that needs to happen there. Um, but I think even Amazon now is being pressured. I think there's a recent lawsuit on their side where they have to fix like, you know, their review system um, and, and they are becoming aware of it. And they're starting, starting to pressure, pressure, you know, their, their product manufacturers. But I go back to all this is just like a lot of, you know, face value. They're coming in there. They're trying to, you know, cover their ass. But in reality, are their interests aligned with doing the right things for the consumers mm -hmm. versus going their bottom line? I'm going to say no. Okay. If I were to ask you, you know, like there's people listening that 
they're I'm guessing most of them operate in the in the Web two world, and they're thinking of starting something and becoming a Web three builder like yourself. Um, from my outside perspective, looking in, I feel like unless you have some kind of not financial resources, but like you know um, the freedom to kind of explore um, the long term wealth building or whatever value capturing of Web three, like what's an easy way to kind of get in or start something or like, am I completely off in terms of like the requirements to kind of be able to build something in web three? Cause I feel like I'll take a long time. It's not these, you know, quick hit, you know, uh, wonders that people kind of think it's going to be. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think if you're in web three, you're, you're in for the long haul. This is not one of those, you know, quick flip dip type things. I, I think there are companies that are doing that. Don't get me wrong. If you understand how to, uh, you know, play the token game, there's, there's probably some, you know, there's probably some shenanigans and some quick flips that are happening on that front. But generally speaking, most Web3 companies, you, you got to come in with a mindset of being in the long game. Now, if you've never done Web3, that would be a really tough transition. And my advice actually would be to go join a Web3 company. And so you're getting all these new, new job postings, et cetera, coming out. So many Web3 companies are under-resourced. Um, and I would say the best bet is to figure out, you know, how you can apply your expertise in a Web3 company, then, you know, go start one <laughs> to start off. Um, so that, that would be how I'd go about it. And if you are starting one, yeah, you got to be in it for the long run. Like things are shifting on a daily basis. The way we thought about tokenization, you know, six months ago is just so different from how we're thinking about it today. Right. And that's because the landscape is constantly shifting. Perfect. Uh, in terms of like the future of reputable, um, I know it's, again, it's like really weird going from web two to web three, because usually when you ask a founder about where they're going to be in five years of their company, they have like a roadmap and like the traditional things you think about in web two. How do you think about it for web three, like with reputable, like do you even see yourself part of the DAO in five years or like, do you see like you have like the reason for doing something like a DAO is you want to explore other interest I'm guessing maybe in the future I might just be putting words in your mouth so you can just answer however you like <laughs> yeah um no I, I think it's a great question right and we've actually recently gone through this exercise so it's timely where we see us in five years is a place where you know we live today in a world where there's just so much misinformation right all sorts of things right um and we want to build a platform and a place where the average consumer, the average doctor can come in and get unbiased information around what's truly better for some specific condition or, or any treatment, right? It, it, that has to be something that it's, it's not I'm saying it's unbiased. It's a community of people through data, real world data and evidence is saying it's unbiased. So very recently, we've made a significant push now into getting the community to actually start collecting real world evidence around a bunch of experiments that they're running. So the thing that we've really come to realize right now is that for you to say something is credible or reputable, um, you need real world evidence. I need to be able to say that, you know, this specific product has provided this sort of change in my biomarkers and my lab tests, et cetera. And that's what makes it reputable. So, um, you know, we're starting to kick off that entire initiative and each of us are 
doing little mini experiments on our side, right? So as an example, you know, um, our goal right now is to create a place where, you know, I can come in and try any health and wellness hack. I'm doing meditation. I've always meditated on and off, but I've never actually understood the, the real world data changes associated to me meditating twice a day. So I'm doing that now for the next eight weeks. And I'm, I've got my aura ring, I've got my Apple watch, and I'm tracking my HRV, my sleep, my resting heart rate. And the idea here is you design these small N of one experiments, you get feedback from the community as to like, should I be tracking other things? And then you report your results back into the community as a real world experiment around what happens. Now that may not be your standard, you know, like clinical trial, uh, you know, double blinded randomized trial, but we believe that the aggregated version of the entire community of people come in creating these N of one trials and that data set will show trends and, 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 and you know, provide direction on what products and therapies are actually better. So, I mean, from, a, from where we're going in five years, we want to think, envision a world where you have this dashboard in any condition or any treatment. You can look at this dashboard and go, this is the, the product or the service or the treatment that is trending the best in terms of real world evidence on this population of people that are trying it. That's what we want to bring to market. Okay. And um, from a monetizational aspect, like I'm just curious, how does monetization work on a DAO structured company? It's a great question. Um, I mean, so on our side, we're not focused on monetization at this point, just given, uh, you know, we're, we're focused on building the community, we're focused on getting the governance and the process in place. But you can imagine a world where you've got millions of people running N of one experiments on a whole bunch of different things, right? And the type of data that gets aggregated in that ecosystem. Um, and, you know, you can very easily envision how we can monetize that and create a, a paywall or metered access to that data set to health insurers, like the ones we were trying to target at, you know, my being sensitive, right? That are looking to understand, hey, what's the best solution and the best ROI right now for me to manage chronic pain. You know, it's these three things, right? Um, and keep in mind, it's not going to be those three things forever. That information and, and that list is constantly fluid and constantly changing based on all the different things people are trying. So they would want that sort of real-time access to it. And, you know, if there's a monetization model that we're thinking of in the future, it would be tied to that sort of metered access. Now, in terms of how that works within the DAO structure, any monetization, any revenue earned just really sits in the DAO's treasury that is managed by um, the community members through their governance tokens. Oh, okay, so it's completely transparent. Yes. Like the, 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 so earlier on this year, we raised a small amount in our treasury just within the internal team itself. And, you know, it's completely transparent. Anybody can go in there and see what our, how much we've raised, et cetera. Um, and, and yeah, that, that there is the ethos of Web3. Awesome. Ara, do you have any more questions? No, I think, um, I think that's it for now in terms of, uh, for me, um, I think we answered, a, we're looking through to kind of see if there's a few audience questions as well. So anybody listening um, has some questions that we haven't already covered, um, please put them in the chat. Um, 
I think we did cover all the audience questions as well. Okay, great. Well, if there's no more questions for the audience, I think this is a great point to wrap up. Um, Theban, I've learned so much from you. This has been such a great session. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We really, really appreciate it. No problem at all. Okay. Bye, everybody. Take care. And please be sure to catch us on our next episode of the Tamil Innovator Spotlight. Thanks, everyone.